Hi, Caleb. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm quite well. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, <laughs> That's all you have to say about that. Yeah, I don't. I don't have too much more. It has just a nice, nice day out. So I did a little wandering around and. Um, nice. Yeah, I, no complaints. I, I went and got too much sun and wind yesterday. I took my dog to the the beach up at Fort mm. Funston, and and yeah, it was a little, it was a little much, and I'm I'm feeling a little bit of a, whatever the sort of exercise equivalent of a hangover is for someone who's usually pretty uh, sentient. Sen- what are you sedentary, not sen- well sentient too, I guess. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> what are you drinking tonight? Uh, I am drinking a rusty nail tonight. Um, ah. So I got some some just a, a blended scotch and some drambuie. Pretty simple drink. Uh, I don't think I've done it before. No. What's drambuie? Drambuie. Uh, it's a liqueur. It's basically like um, honey and scotch. Essentially, it's a it's mm. a Scottish liqueur. Um, so it's pretty sweet. Um, and yeah, it's a, a rusty nail is just basically uh, scotch and drambuie. So it's a lo- whole lot of scotch, scotch whiskey and then some honey. <laughs> All right. Basically. Uh, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm having one of my favorites in aviation. Oh, so I nice. had, had some lemon. So uh, a little yeah. bit ironic, giving our given our uh, topic for the evening. It is indeed. Yes. So tonight I thought we could uh, dig into uh, tunnels and the boring company. Um, we haven't talked about this yet. And even though it isn't officially a Tesla company, it will uh, it will relate to Tesla. It's, uh, it's under the Elon umbrella. And it is under the Elon umbrella. And so there is a chance at some point in the future is bought by Tesla. But I think the, the more interesting piece is that at some point, uh, Tesla's will probably be uh, using the outcome of what the boring company makes if it's successful. So thus the boring episode. Yes, this will be the boring episode. Um, so what do we know? What do you know about tunnels? I think those are the things that go underground. Uh, I, I used to make tunnels. Uh, I grew up in New England. So uh, in the winter, of course, uh, we would get covered in frozen, frozen water, uh, snow everywhere. And I would make tunnels through the snow uh, in the snow banks. The mm-hmm. snow plows would, would uh, push all the snow. Uh, and that's essentially my experience with, with tunnels. Yeah. How about so, you? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty similar. I, I, I've definitely driven through tunnels. Uh, I've gone in subways that I guess are tunnels. <laughs> um, so in researching uh, the episode, obviously this one required a bit more research to, to get into tunnels since it's not really our, our expertise. It's even further afield than, than cars. Although um, I, did, I did live in Boston during the big dig. So yeah, that, I wanna, that, that, that accounts for some experience there. I do want to hear about that. So right. the official definition uh, for a tunnel as defined by the U.S. government uh, for its sort of transportation needs is an underground structure with a design length greater than 75 feet and a diameter greater than 5.9 feet. So the tunnels you were building in the snow probably would not qualify as an official well, tunnel. You don't know that. I was a pretty ambitious child. 75-foot tunnels, that'd be pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah, so essentially tunnels have been around uh, for many, many thousands of years. One of the first underwater tunnels, which is sort of extremely impressive, was built by the Babylonians under the uh, Euphrates in 2180 BC. I find that incredibly surprising. Yeah, so apparently what they they did is they dammed the Euphrates River and they built what is called a cut-and-cover tunnel, which we'll, we'll get into. But essentially, uh, they dig underground in the, in the dam and then they built a 
tunnel that was about 12 feet high and 15 feet wide. And uh, the archaeologists believe it was most likely for pedestrians and horses um, to get between a temple and the palace. Well, who uh, else would it have been for at, the, at that point in time? <laughs> Well, it could have it could have been just for water. So we oh, there were like aqueduct, aqueduct tunnels. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then apparently it was it was lined with brick and waterproof with asphalt. And mm. it wasn't until four thousand years later uh, that there was another underwater tunnel built, and it was uh, in 1843 underneath the Thames in England. Um, so tunnel technology hadn't really advanced very, very much in, uh, a few thousand years. Many tunnels were built underneath the, the, uh, through, through mountains for the railroads, uh, in, in the U S, um, when we went westward. Um, and then eventually, uh, they were built underground for the need for subways, um, and metros. Uh, I think the, the first one was actually in Paris and it was a, a cut and cover as well, where they would dig out a hole lay the uh the tunnel in there build the tunnel and then they'd cover it back up uh, and this is obviously before there were a lot of big buildings to worry about so it was a a little bit easier uh to plan and, and execute but still uh this was around solving traffic uh, even even in the mid 1800s there was too much traffic in cities and so building tunnels was a very effective way to get some of that traffic uh out of the out of the streets and uh underground if and if, I, if I'm not mistaken, the first uh, tunnel, subway tunnel in the U.S. was in Boston, uh, the, what became the Green Line down Tremont Street uh, along the Boston Common, uh, was also a cut and cover tunnel where they essentially just dug a big trench and then put yep. a roof over it. Uh, and, and yeah, it's kind of ran down to, to get off of the uh, traffic of Tremont Street. Yeah, so we, yeah, we've had, I mean, we've had tunnels for, for quite a long time now, so it's certainly not a, uh, a new technology. So Elon Musk and, and co are not um, inventing uh, the future here in terms of a new technology when they are planning to do the boring company. Um, but they're actually trying to do a type of tunnel that is not this cut and cover, which we've just described, um, which is, as you described, a trench, and then you cover it up. Um, so it's a pretty primitive idea. Um, and, uh, it's not another type, which is an immersed tube tunnel, um, which is essentially, uh, sinking a tunnel section that's been sealed into water and then attaching it to the other pieces. So, in, so instead of building it underwater, you build it above water and then you sink it. Uh, yeah. and you were saying you've, you've seen this done before. Yeah. When I was living in, in Boston back in the nineties, uh, there was also, there was the big dig going on, but also as part of the big dig. Uh, the big dig is is the uh, sort of deep tunneling that they did through the like core of the city uh, to bury uh, I ninety five, but uh, there was also another part of it where they connected out to Logan Airport and East Boston. So they went underneath uh, the harbor and they did the the uh, to what did you call it the immersed tube. Immersed Some, tube, yeah. Immersed tube, yeah. So they there was they just kept rolling up these. Uh, I think they were built down in uh, Baltimore or in, the, in somewhere in the Mid Atlantic area, and they were floated all the way up to these enormous, like you know, multi hundred meter long, uh, two lane <laughs> sections of tunnel essentially, and they were sealed on both ends, and they floated them up, and then they would float them and position them in the in the harbor and they had dug a trench and they just lowered them down into position and they would weld it essentially underwater to the existing section that was there. And then they would cut out the part where the weld was to, and then that basically increased the length of the tunnel so far. And then they would position the next one and lower that down and essentially work their way all the way across from one end 
from Boston to East Boston uh, and created an, two more lanes of, of tunnel going out to the, uh, to the airport. Got it. Yeah, so the other type of tunnel that is actually what the Boring Company is going to do is aptly named a Bored Tunnel. Um, and the primary characteristics of it are that it's built in situ, so it's built in place and without removing the ground above. This is kind of what I would normally think of as a tunnel. This is what like animals do, like a, a, a gopher or a mole yep. or, or a worm, I guess. <laughs> any any sort of burrowing animal uh, is just basically, you know, pulling the dirt and pushing it out and making a tunnel. Yeah, so exactly. There's uh, machines that are put, uh, lowered into the ground, and then they bore. Sometimes they're even called moles uh, after the animal. Um, and yeah, they, they dig a hole and uh, dig this tunnel, and then they pop back out uh, at the other end, uh, wherever they want the tunnel to, to end. And uh, so some of the, just as like a sense of scale, uh, some of the longest tunnels uh, are, so the longest tunnel anywhere right now is an aqueduct. So for water, it's 85 miles long, uh, and that's in Delaware. The longest underwater contiguous tunnel is the Chunnel, um, which is from France to England, uh, which is about 24 miles underwater. That's uh, where the helicopter chased Tom Cruise in, in the Mission Impossible movie, right? I don't know, actually. It is. is. It? Yeah, right. yeah. One of the Mission Impossibles, yeah. Okay. I, we'll have to go watch that as homework. Um, <laughs> the longest car tunnel is in Norway, um, the Lardal Tunnel, and it's 15 miles. Is it uh, along a fjord? I do not know. I do not know. Uh, and then the longest rail tunnel is the Gotthard Tunnel, and uh, it's 35 miles. So not hundreds and hundreds of miles, um, but still many more miles than, you know, the peninsula here where we live. I mean, this, some of these <laughs> would go from San Francisco all the way down to San Jose. Uh, so pretty long distances uh, in, a, in a solid tube that is pressurized, well, could be pressurized. So yeah, and, and there's all the, the complications around it, too, where you'll have to have ventilation, you have to have often emergency access, especially for things like uh, cars, where there's a pretty good chance that there are going to be accidents. They'll usually have um, space or a third tube or something for, for emergency access. Yeah, exactly. So the way most of these tunnels are built today is uh, for cars, if it's one or two lanes, it'll be about 26 feet or so across, um, which gives you room for emergency lanes and, and for um, emergency vehicles to come in. A lot of times for the rail, like the tunnel is actually three tunnels. There's one for each of the railway directions, um, east-west. And then there's also a service tunnel, which is a little bit uh, less in diameter. Um, and that's in case there's an emergency, they can get people into the service tunnel. Um, and then, yeah, they've got huge fans, uh, to blow fresh air, um, into the, into the location, into the tunnels. And then they also have big chillers, um, to, to cool the tunnels because apparently in the tunnel, for instance, it, it would get so hot, um, it would get over 110 degrees just really? because of the friction of the tunnel of the, sorry, of the trains through the air, um, that it would get too hot. And then the air conditioning in the trains would overwork itself and create heat in the tunnel. Yeah. That, so they, that's they, really interesting. I would have thought that tunnels would have been like temperature would have been the one problem you don't have to worry about in tunnels. Cause it seems like anytime you, you know, you have a wine cellar or you have, uh, you know, the, those, uh, eco, uh, 
air cooling systems where they'll push the the air down into the into these like tubes and then pull it back up because the ground is is cool uh that's that's fascinating yeah apparently one of the engineers uh was talking about how yeah the friction from the trains uh would cause the air to heat up that's because um, it's not a hyperloop system right it is not evacuated <laughs> uh it's not an evacuated tube um, i feel like if i if i if it was getting hot in a tunnel i would feel like we were getting a little too close to the molten core of the earth like that would be my uh too my, deep my super that would maybe that's what the babylonians would have no they wouldn't have known about the molten core never Probably mind not. all right i'll stop freestyling um so the the tunnel boring machines are these really incredible uh feats of engineering because they are built to basically churn through any kind of rock or soil or grit and they are hundreds of feet long and they're you know between 12 and 60 feet in diameter they are they weigh like one of one of the ones that's being used uh in seattle right now uh weighs more than the eiffel tower not anymore uh, they finished oh okay so they just finished yeah um <laughs> that was actually right after i left seattle they started doing that and then it was stuck underground for a while because it hit some pipe or something yeah it, it hit some it's some steel from some previous construction project yeah which is yeah that's i mean i guess we'll get to this but this is the crazy part about the tunneling system is that there's a lot of just stuff underneath cities uh especially like i remember living in boston and i would see whenever they were doing repairs they'd pull up a manhole cover and i would always be fascinated when i walked by because you'd see there'd be like at least like 10 or 12 layers of different levels of pavement and bricks and all these different like surface toppings that have gone mm -hmm. on and then you'd see all of these like pipes and i mean we had a, a wood pipe burst because the water was still being brought in on wood pipes which <laughs> which is just mind-blowing nice. uh so yeah anyways it's it's there's a lot of stuff uh, a lot of years of stuff going on under there yeah especially in in the uh, urban environments where they they don't want to dig the tunnels too deep um, because they've got this entrance and exit problem where you need to basically have some way for the cars at street level to enter the tunnel um and uh and yeah digging deeper will just require more total depth but uh, you can you can dig quite deep um you know the tunnel is hundreds and hundreds of feet deep so many of the tunnels that are built today uh, in cities are not that deep even though they could be they uh, sometimes do have to compete with things that are in the ground uh that are problematic for those uh those machines to churn through but um yeah, definitely. So as a, as a recommendation, there's a, a Nova episode that aired last year. I think it's called Super Tunnel. Yeah. It's about this tunnel that they're doing, they're currently working on uh, in London. And it's interesting in two regards. One, in that they actually show you this, the machinery that does this. So you actually see the machine like carving through and putting the sections around and building it up as it goes, which I think is very similar to what the boring company is talking about. Yep. Uh, but also it deals with this idea of having to interact with all of the other stuff going on uh, underneath a, a busy city and yeah there's one area where they had to like go like they had to somehow shoot it like just above another tunnel that was existing and then underneath another tunnel and it was anyways they 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 made some drama around it in the documentary and and uh, spoiler alert they were successful but right. it was really interesting yeah and in that case what was really interesting too is they're they're tying into an existing subway infrastructure right um uh, the tube. And so they want to use the existing stations in many cases. And so rather than digging super deep, like we were just talking about, which could avoid a lot of the challenges of stuff that humans have put into the ground over time, 
they needed to sort of thread the needle essentially. And I think one of the issues there was they were trying to get this tunnel in between like the, the, uh, an escalator and this yeah. other tunnel and they had, you know, inches uh, of, of clearance uh, running this boring machine. And, and the crazy thing is like the TBMs, even though they've got more thrust than like 10 space shuttles, I mean, they've got incredible amounts of power. Um, they, they could power like 300, 300 um, homes in cities. I mean, these things are incredibly power intensive, very, very strong. And they, have a cutting wheel on the front that basically breaks down and creates fissures in the rock, which causes a rock to, to break and fall. And then there's conveyors in the front that take that material um, and pumps it out the back. And then you have to deal with where you're going to put that material. Um, and so all of that is really this simple, simple idea of taking a very strong steel head and rotating it into rock, <laughs> breaking up the rock and then pouring, pulling it out. And then the machine will then stop and then take concrete. Uh, the latest, you know, technology is these concrete reinforced uh, semicircles, which it puts in place um, and mounts. And then you've got the tunnel being reinforced behind itself. So you're only really a couple meters of exposed material uh, of, of sort of exposed earth before you've got a real tunnel behind you. And there's like hundreds of people in these machines and thousands of workers total. Um, so it's a huge operation running one of these machines. They, they can cost upwards of $80, $90 million. They're all custom built. Um, many times they're only used once, which is, uh, <laughs> yeah. reminds you of sort of a, a rocket uh, in, in some ways. And it's just so, so um, such large, heavy pieces of machinery. Uh, you've, got, uh, you've got the challenges of, of clean ventilation and working environments. And when they were building the channel, um, they miscalculated the, the type of uh, chalk they were going through. And so there was water leaking in. And so it was like a, a rainstorm all the time in the work environment. And so it's definitely a dirty, messy job um, and uh, has not in the past sort of 50 or 60 years that these machines have been built really improved to that much of a degree. I mean, they still, the fastest rate that uh, these things move is around 300 feet per week. Um, so it's extremely slow going and that's like a 20 hour, 20 hour day uh, by seven days a week. Yeah, I think for, for me, the biggest surprise was, I, I guess, I, ne I never really thought about it much. And I naively thought about it as this, like, just sort of a, a, a drilling machine that would go through and just drill a hole. And then people would go in later and, like, you know, put bricks around it or something and make it into a tunnel. But it's actually, when you say, like, a boring machine, it's really an entire facility that yeah. that goes underground and slowly inches its way through. And, like, at the front, like, the, the tippy end of the spear yeah. is where it's actually like ripping through the ground and then the rest of it is is like taking the stuff out that's been removed and then like there's things coming in and there's like all these like you know, like you say these big concrete things pre-made like ring pieces coming yeah. in and then there's like all these hydraulics that are putting them in place around and yeah it's it's and then of course all of the like the life support and all the other stuff going on it's it's really amazing and and i've watched a number of these documentaries over the years and it's it's just completely fascinating well what's crazy too is you have to imagine that they they have to steer it and sort of pilot it in some direction and they have to know where they're going and there's no gps underground right yeah there's no gps so they're using lasers and they 
they're using boreholes, which they do from the surface, to sort of dig holes from the surface to understand what the material is going to be because you have different cutter heads for different types of material. And then you also have different boring machines that are intended to get wet or not, um, and then for loose, uh, loose sort of soil or deep rock. And then if you hit bedrock, you have to put on and slow down the, the you know, slow it down really, really slow and torn up the torque because you have to go really rough through this uh, super hard rock. So it, it, it isn't like, uh, oh, yeah, let's just dig a tunnel right now. Like the, right. It, it, is, it isn't even nearly as simple as just building, you know, an asphalt road. And I think for people who've seen public works projects happen at the surface of a highway extension being built or even a road being repaved, and you just think about how slow that seems as, you know, a regular uh, citizen, and then you think about the amount of complexity of digging a tunnel, it it seems like it should be easy, but it is incredibly, uh, you know, currently involves a ton of effort and cost. And the cost is what's really the problem with tunnels, because even though they can move a lot of people and they last a lot longer than streets do, they cost less to maintain, the upfront cost is so much that oftentimes they can't get enough funding. And so, for instance, um, the Chunnel uh, project was $14 billion, and it was estimated to cost $7 billion. So it was double the estimated budget. Um, and, you know, the current sort of city-level projects that are, like the Seattle project was over, uh, over $2 billion. An LA extension of their highway was uh, $2 billion. So in cities, it can be as much as a billion dollars per mile. Yeah, the, uh, um, the, the Second Avenue subway in, in New York, uh, in, in the Lower Manhattan, just built recently. I think it just finished or just opened up this year. And it was like, what was it, like $6 billion or $5 billion or something? And it was like a two-mile tunnel. Yeah. So it, it is not a uh, low-cost endeavor at this point. And, um, and, and so one of the challenges that, uh, you'd need to address is how would you get the cost down? And, uh, and also how would you just build them, uh, build more of them? Because I think one of the, one of the core insights that we'll get into is just that as more and more people are driving and more and more people are living in cities and we build taller and taller buildings, people are living and working in three-dimensional space, uh, and so we can take up a lot of volume as as people in, a, in an office building, but then you drain that office building at 5 or 6 p.m. at night, and all those people now enter a flat 2D street level, and so if you want to dissipate those people quickly in cars, which they tend to like to do, uh, you really have a problem because you'll have gridlock, and so the idea here is to both uh, alleviate traffic and also to uh, make it possible to go really long distances very quickly at, at really low cost and, and in very safe way without dealing with the with the environment and the elements. So that sort of brings us to the boring company. So sort of in context, we have there's boring machines that. Uh, move very slowly. Uh, the, you know the spinner heads. You can see videos online. They they spin at a speed you can see, like a couple revolutions per minute max. Like it's not it's not like a drill uh, you'd have in your your closet where you spin the you know the drill head and it's faster than you can see. These things turn excruciatingly slow from a mechanic like what you might expect. I was expecting these things to be like ripping through, and they are, <laughs> they go real slowly. Um, 
and uh, and so they cost a lot of money. They're not often used more than once. And uh, and so Elon Musk was uh, was thinking about this, and he's been thinking about it a lot. And apparently, he he sort of was mentioning to the uh, to Bloomberg that he was sitting in traffic uh, in Los Angeles, and he was just so infuriated about it, how much traffic it was, that he decided to start start digging. Um, and so the uh, first tweet was in December of 2016. And the tweet was, traffic's driving me nuts. I'm going to build a tunnel boring machine and just start digging, dot, dot, dot. And then a little bit later, he said, it shall be called the Boring Company. Boring, it's what we do. Uh, and then he tweeted later, I'm actually going to do this. <laughs> So I remember seeing this tweet when it first came through and yeah, I was not, I did not believe he was actually going to do this because I knew in the past that he, his inspiration, one of the points of inspiration for the Hyperloop was sitting in traffic and that it was so slow to get these distances and seeing these uh, electric trains coming to California in particular. And they're sort of the most expensive, slowest electric train and high speed rail, uh, which is sort of not the superlatives you want uh, on a new project. But I didn't really know he was into tunneling. Um, <laughs> well, I guess that's the other. The other option is is you start wondering about flying vehicles at that point. And yeah, yeah, he's talked about that too, and um, we'll we'll talk about it some more. But the uh, he does not think flying cars or flying vehicles beyond um, airplanes is, is really a good idea. Um, <laughs> I, I also like the just to take a pause for the moment too to think that maybe the solution is actually just to have reliable train and and public transit. Uh, but I guess if you just want to somehow put a Band-Aid on L.A. Uh, as it is and, and let people keep their cars, then you have to you have to do this. But I, I don't know. The, the advocating for reliable transportation that works around the world is, is not something that that's flies uh, around here. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest realizations is that uh, public transit projects in the U.S. in particular tend not to be utilized and for whatever reason. And um if you actually are going to solve a problem with cars, then it needs to be a solution that can work with cars. And, uh, and especially I, I, in California. Yeah. And, and so I think it's sort of a realization that if you can't get people to change their behavior, you got to just solve, solve the problem here. And, and there'll be deeper <laughs> implications for, uh, for, for self-driving cars, which we'll talk about. So back to the founding of the boring company. So he, he, creates this new company um he apparently had been telling other entrepreneurs that come to meet with him like don't do an iphone product don't do something you know in space like do tunnels um <laughs> and uh he's like people weren't expecting me to tell them to do tunnels but he was like it would obviously solve urban congestion and we wouldn't be stuck in soul destroying traffic all the time um, but there's no aws boring service so you no. know it's, it's hard to get started so apparently he was frustrated that none of these entrepreneurs took him up on the idea of doing tunnels themselves, so he decided to do it himself. So after he tweeted that out in December, he bought the boringcompany.com domain name, and he appointed a leader of it, uh, Steve Davis, who was a sp who is a SpaceX engineer, uh, who actually built the guidance systems for the, for the rockets. So you've got Elon and this guy, Steve Davis, who's a SpaceX em employee, and, uh, and then a couple couple weeks later they started uh, digging a hole at spacex and uh <laughs> like in a parking lot wasn't it yeah and he was like let's what's the biggest hole we can make by sunday so on friday <laughs> he's like let's start digging and they got some equipment and then they started digging 
Um, and he was really, he had some funny ideas here. He was like, uh, we were going to call it Tunnels R Us uh, to troll Toys R Us, um, but he decided they'd probably sue him and it wouldn't be fun. And then now they want to troll AT&T and they're going to call it American Tubes and Tunnels. Um, but apparently they, they settled on the boring company not to, uh, to cause cause lawsuits um but he definitely seemed to have a a, a sense of, uh, of humor about this um and so it is an independent company it's not part of tesla it's not part of spacex it's a new independent company so he's a ceo of another company now um so i think that's tesla spacex Neuralink, and uh, and now the boring company he's uh, a, a one-man alphabet he he has he has many companies under his name um and yeah, so he, he's chose SpaceX. Um, he thinks he, because he can dig under their own property, they are starting there. They're, they've communicated with the city um, to get permits to keep going beyond their land. They haven't yet gotten permit uh, approval. What is the so like when you have a, a piece of property, you have uh, I believe like air rights above your your property. But what is your what is your rights below your property? Apparently, they do have the right of the land below. They they were encouraged by the city to reach out to OSHA for uh, permission to dig more than five feet because it gets into a hazardous environment. Uh, five feet deep or, or yeah, long? Deep. When you get a hole deeper than five feet, they you know you could have people falling into it becomes a problem. And so OSHA, the uh, Occupational <laughs> Safety and Hazard Administration, the whole first I think. Season of whole first season of Parks and Rec result, <laughs> revolves around people falling into a pit. <laughs> That's true, yeah. So he, I think they, apparently they didn't reach out to OSHA to get approval, so they just started doing it. Um, and they're, so they're working on getting permits to go beyond the property line. Um, <laughs> and now, in the past few days, they've tweeted out, he's tweeted out photos. So the boring machine they've purchased is now in the pit so the way this works is you have to assemble the the you have to get a big pit first which will be the entry to the hole into the tunnel and then you you lower piece by piece your boring machine your your uh, tbm into the into this sort of uh pit and then that's a staging area you assemble it and then it starts digging a pilot hole and uh and then you you keep going into this new hole and then you assemble the tbm behind it because it's many hundreds of feet depending on the the sort of diameter of the tbm so they he's tweeted out photos and videos of the the boring machine being down there so they bought a used one and uh and and uh, they i think they got maybe 80 to 90 percent off so i think it was only a couple million dollars compared to like a brand new one um <laughs> And yeah, they tweeted, he tweeted out that the first full length tunnel will run from LAX to Culver City, Santa Monica, Westwood, and eventually Sherman Oaks. And uh, the future tunnels will cover all of greater Los Angeles. Um, so SpaceX to Los Angeles, just for people who aren't familiar, is six miles. Um, so it looks like they'll probably go SpaceX to LAX first so that he can quickly get um, to his private jet. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, the, as I was saying, like the costs are, are kind of crazy, like a billion dollars per mile. Uh, the lowest I found was around the, the channel, which was one hundred and twenty five million per mile. Um, so, you know, it's going to be expensive until they can actually get the speed really high. So that's sort of the next thing to talk about. But what do you you saw some of these tweets? What's I don't know. What, what's your reaction to uh, their 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 tunneling? on spacex property i mean i think the well i mean 
other than the fact that it's just hilarious uh, that like this is what happens when you're really rich and you just have random ideas. Uh, you can just start digging a giant hole and <laughs> buying used uh, boring equipment, I, I guess, on eBay or something. I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, for, for me, I feel like there's I mean, and I guess we're going to get to this in, in a sec, but the uh, the the idea of like digging lots of tunnels um the first thing that jumps into my mind is well you're in LA we're in California the uh the earth isn't exactly stable around here uh we have uh rather famously you know lots of earthquakes uh the earth the the uh the earth the the plates the uh, tectonic plates tend to slide and move around uh, and vibrate a lot so uh yeah, I wonder about that, uh, especially if you have like a really intricate network of tunnels where you're starting to have tunnels on top of tunnels on top of tunnels. I wonder how structurally sound that would be in the event of some sort of seismic uh, event. Uh, and yeah, I don't I don't know how much you could test that ahead of time or if we just have to like build a bunch and see. So yeah, I, my first thought was, what about earthquakes? Uh, and my second thought is just how do you get in and out of all of these tunnels? I think the idea of like building tunnels all over the place is, I mean, it's been around for a while. I feel like that's the sort of when you watch really old school movies like Metropolis or these other like early 20th century or mid 20th century movies, like they were really big on pneumatic tubes and things sliding around in mm -hmm. tunnels and uh, stuff like that. And then, of course, there's all the flying stuff. But uh, there was also a lot of like tunnels. And yeah, so I feel like that's a pretty old idea, but I feel like get the sort of ingress and egress points are the bottleneck in, in these systems. And it'll be interesting to see. I, I, well, I don't want to get too much ahead of ourselves, but I was not all that convinced by their video about how they would handle it. So yeah, yeah. those are those. I mean, earthquakes was my first first example. And then, well, my first reaction other than the crazy billionaire reaction. Yeah, so someone tweeted Elon asking about earthquakes, and he said, not a problem. Um, and apparently, I did a little more research, and yeah, there are plenty of, uh, of underground. I mean, we have the LA subway underground, and apparently one of the things that happens is in the ground, it isn't as violent of a uh, reaction. It's the, to it's the very top of the, of the earth that will shake the most. Um, and so apparently, yeah, if you dig it, you know, at least 40, 50 feet deep, you won't have a massive impact from, uh, from the earthquake. And this is one of the reasons that the super, super tall, um, buildings that, that have really deep basements, uh, can, can have their reinforcements and have their, um, uh, anti-seismic, um, I guess they're, they're basically like pendulums down below. To right. help offset the swinging and swaying. But I, I guess this is assuming that you're, especially in, in California, where we have a lot of uh, slip faults, where they're like, essentially, instead of like subduction faults, where like one plate's going over another, they're like the San Andreas, most famously in the Hayward as well, are slip faults, where there's two plates like side by side that are rubbing laterally against each other. Uh, and... You, I mean, famously, the the football stadium at at Berkeley, uh, at Cal here in Berkeley, like part of the stadium is on one side of the fault and the other stadium is on the other side of the fault. And it's actually like sliding and you can see it's like ripping the building apart. Um, so I wonder, I guess they'll just have to somehow avoid any sort of fault lines. Uh, you don't want to necessarily have your tunnel right. going through a fault line and all of a sudden like shear it. And, you know, there's all of a sudden your your tunnels broken yeah i i looked at their job listings and they have a lot of people uh for civil engineers and tunnel engineers and t 
TBM operator. So uh, they are hiring people who have experience building tunnels. So it, I don't think it's going to just be fully cowboy style uh, <laughs> digging. Um, Starting in the pocket lot and we're just going yeah, out. I think that was just sort of to convince people this is real and, and get people excited. Um, and I think the, the other thing that is super critical here is um, they... Elon talked about some of the main things they need to do to make this be successful. And because the current price is so high per mile, uh, you need to, you need to get it down. And the primary way he thinks you'll be able to get it down is to increase the speed with which you can, you can dig, uh, these tunnels. And so currently sort of the best in class is around 300 feet per week. Um, and that's what Elon just said. And so I validated that by researching. And one of the newest tunnels has been built as a Yangtze river tunnel in China. Um, and the manufacturer, which is the same manufacturer of the tunnel boring machine they purchased, uh, Henrikicht, is a top performance of 94 meters per week, which is 306 feet per week. Um, so 306 feet per week, um, Musk wants to get it to a mile per week, which would be <laughs> a 17.6x increase. And a snail is about, uh, would be a little bit slower than that. So he said they want to move about as fast as a snail. So a snail moves 14 times faster than that. So that's why he's been, you know, touting around this snail named Gary, which is a funny reference or a, a reference, maybe not so funny reference <laughs> to uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. So he's, he's basically challenging the team to, to build a tunnel boring machine that can uh, be faster than Gary. So just to give people a sense of reference, like, yeah, Imagine a snail's pace and a, a tunnel boring machine is about 14 times slower than that right now. So we're not talking about, you know, 60 miles an hour kind of tunnel boring. We're, we're talking about a mile per week, pretty slow still. I wonder what the, um, and then the faster you go, the more you're going to, well, I guess the, none of these boring machines are doing any sort of uh, analysis of what they're digging through. I guess I'm wondering like, Sometimes you'll see when buildings are being dug or, you know, the foundations are being dug for buildings that might stop the whole project because there's some sort of archaeological find or fossils or mm -hmm. who knows what else is there. Is there any sort of uh, any sort of mention of, of that as the, as the tunnels are going through? Are they going to be like tearing through like rare Tyrannosaurus like fossil sites or something and not even know? He did not mention the Tyrannosaurus Rex problem. Um, they they sort of just assumed they would just go as you know as quickly as they could. Um, the uh, apparently the Chunnel team actually employed archaeologists because they would use archaeologists to examine the um, micro uh, fossils in the chalk to understand where they were uh, in the, in sort of relative three D space. Because if they weren't seeing a certain type of fossil in the chalk, they knew they were moving off the chalk line which is they wanted to stay in the chalk line. So like kind of crazy. They were using archaeologists to uh, ensure they were staying on track. Um, there's a really good documentary about, I mean, there's, there's probably a lot of them, but I definitely saw, I think it might've been a Nova documentary about the, the channel a while back. Cause that's another one where they were both drilling from either side and they had yep. to meet in the middle, um, which is, you know, just heightens the whole drama. Uh, but yeah, there's, I mean, yeah, like, again, I, I love these documentaries. Yes, we will. I will try and link some of them up in the uh, in the show notes and on the post, so people can uh, can go find them and watch them if they're interested in it. So, so, so Elon thinks there's really sort of three things that need to happen to increase the speed, and he doesn't think these are fundamentally um, 
that hard. Um, he, he said like to make it five times better is not crazy hard to make it 10 times harder, 10 times faster is hard, but nobody will need to win a Nobel prize. Um, he said, you don't need to have, you don't need to change the standard model of physics to achieve these results. So the, the three primary things he wants to do are one to reduce the tunnel diameter by two, by a factor of two or more. So a single road tunnel current regulation requires it to be 26 to 28 feet in diameter. Uh, that's to account for service vehicles and pathways for humans to escape. And also for fumes of, you know, uh, cars that typically are internal combustion. He thinks that you could, if you could shrink that to 12 feet, which is what they're planning to do, their current tunnel boring machine is a 12 foot diameter. You could still get this electric skateboard through it, which we'll talk about. Um, and so that halves the diameter, but the cross-sectional area is reduced by four. Well, I guess like by pi. Um, <laughs> And so you've got like a three to four X reduction there because a lot of the cost and the speed is uh, based on the diameter. So that seems reasonable. If you build a uh, less big tunnel, you could remove that earth faster. Um, sure. You don't have to dig as much. So just making a more efficient use of space. And, but that would obviously require a change in regulation because currently you can't have a tunnel for, for vehicles that is that small. So it that also makes like you it. wonder too if, uh, as people are in these things, are they going to be comfortable in there? Or are you going to like not want to use this if you're at all claustrophobic? So is I was thinking you're not in like a train or something, right? This is just your car is sitting on this sled and it's not enclosed, right? It's yeah, that that's the that's the vision there. So then I was thinking about it. So twelve foot ceilings feel pretty good, um, and that's if you're standing. So sitting in a car in a twelve foot enclosed area. I don't know. That might not be. That might not feel too bad. I feel like the the walls might feel pretty close because a lot of cars are like what six six feet wide, five feet wide. Um, Wider than that, they're aren't they? How, how wide is a car? I don't know. We got to check. Um, <laughs> so funny. I don't we know. Should, I feel like we head. should know this. I know. Oh, well, it's like maybe two. How how wide am I? Like I two, four, like five, six, five or six feet. Yeah, six to seven feet. So you, you would have maybe three feet on each side. It would feel very tight. I mean, oh, actually. Here's a good reference. Uh, the average lane, sorry, the lane size of highways in the U.S. is 12 feet. Okay. So it would feel like you're going down the lane of a highway. Uh, that's the regulated amount or the, the suggested amount for a highway. So 12 feet. Although if you ever drive down like a construction zone where there's like Jersey barriers on either side, the 12 feet feels really small when it's not just empty space on either side of you. Yeah, and apparently even like 11 or 10 feet, the, the rate of accident starts going up really quickly. So humans really need 12 feet. But if, if, it, wasn't, um, if it wasn't being driven by a human, which is what they're planning, uh, you could do with less. So 12 feet is, I think, why they anchored on that. It's like, well, it's a lane recommendation for a highway. Yeah, and I guess you could do things where maybe if you paint everything black, it might seem larger, or you might have LEDs all over the place and have some sort of display going on. Uh, you could do all sorts of things. Yeah, so we've got the first reduction of 3 to 4x improvement just by making smaller tunnels. Uh, so that, that's the first thing he wants to do. The second thing he wants to do is, as you were referencing earlier, currently the, the tunnel boring machines have two major steps. One is the tunneling, the, the removal of rock. And then the second is of adding these concrete reinforcement pieces. And those currently happen in two steps. Um, and he wants to do that simultaneously. Um, so that should be a factor of two increase in speed, where you would be digging and also laying these uh, tubular concrete pieces at the same time. Um, I, I don't know. I can't speak to whether or not that's feasible. Um, 
it would sort of imply that you're going to be able to get these pieces to the tunnel boring machine quick enough. And one of the challenges it seems from watching these documentaries is like all of these pieces are numbered currently. They're built just for a particular piece of the tunnel and uh, getting them to that front part of where the tunnel boring machine is uh, takes a fair amount of coordination. But obviously uh, Tesla has pretty good coordination of, you know, being able to build cars in the right sequence with the right parts. But that would be something they're going to have to figure out that the current boring machines don't have built in. Like you'd have to figure out the logic for that. Yeah. There's, there's basically you have like conveyor belts of these pieces coming in and conveyor belts of all of the digging waste, yeah. waste going out. Yeah. And then the last thing he thinks they can do is that the, just increase the power, um, make them rotate faster and cut through the rock faster. Um, they generally have about a 50%, they're operating at about 50% capacity because if they break down, uh, you have to drill a hole from the surface to get, get to them a lot of times is what they had to do in Seattle. Yeah. So anytime it breaks, it can cause really big problems because they don't really back up. Um, and so they typically have operated them at 50% capacity to leave a lot of headroom for any overheating or malfunctions. He thinks they could just jack up the speed, um, and run them faster. Crank it to 11. Yeah. So that'll be, that'll be interesting to see how, how effective they are at that. But, um, especially if he's trying to go even deeper than that, that makes the, uh, having to do a maintenance tunnel even more expensive. Right. Yes. So one of the interesting components of this as well is that um, to, and this was really interesting to me, was that tunnels to protect against the water table. So if you're digging deep enough, you're going to hit groundwater. And especially if you're digging under under an ocean or a a river um, and not super deep underneath it, you're going to have water pressure from above. They will build to five or six bar, uh, so five or six atmospheres of, of uh, resistance. And I was like, oh, that seems really high. So I checked that because he mentioned that in the TED Talk. And apparently, yes, the same Yancey River tunnel I was referencing before, uh, the manufacturer said it was built up to 6.5 bar. So that was really intriguing because, you know, to operate a vacuum is about one atmosphere, right? So um, you could operate almost any tunnel at as a vacuum um without much without you know really changing anything about it so that was really intriguing because if you wanted to use these tunnels for hyperloop um they are structurally built to support that level of vacuum so that was really cool did you know that did you know vac that these things were built to such a strong amount of pressure protection i did not know um but i I mean it's I, I guess it would it would be more of a like the same technique could be used to make hyperloop tunnels. I guess my my concern with the hyper like I I can't imagine that you would want to reduce the atmospheres in a boring company tunnel because what happens if something goes wrong? Oh yeah, you're, no, you're no, in your no. car like yeah you, you <laughs> you're gonna be like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in Total Recall when yeah you're, like that, when your eyes your, popping out yeah your window goes down and like ah yeah no, no I think that his point was just that the tunnels are already built to this amount of uh sort of spec gotcha um and so to protect from water coming in and all that they already are extremely uh resistant to outside pressure and so they also are pressure you could pressure you could depressurize them from the inside and still have uh a vacuum tunnel so some of these might be built for hyperloop and or eventually transitioned into hyperloop tunnels 
So, okay, so that covers water, but what happens if, and, and this would be the ultimate irony here, if Elon Musk, the uh, new energy uh, guru, is drilling underneath Los Angeles or other areas, and what happens if he hits oil? Like, what would they do with that? I don't know. I guess some some Texas tea, some some black gold. <laughs> yeah, I guess they could. I mean, I guess what would happen is they would uh, have to. They would put in there uh, the reinforcements behind it, and then it would be it would it would be good. Um, leaving a lot of money there. Yeah, I guess so. Um, Although I, I mean, I guess less jokily though, in the LA area, there's all sorts gas, yeah. of uh, well, and just like oil yeah, tunnel tar or, and stuff, oil. Uh, what do you call them? Uh, wells, wells all yeah. over the place. And, you know, and not just like, you know, I don't know if, if people haven't been through this area, they'll just be like random, like the oil, old school, like pumping oil derrick things in a, you know, in between two houses or, you know, in random areas. They're kind of scattered all over the place. Yeah. I, I feel like the unexpected things they're going to run into, like literally are going to be intriguing. Um, <laughs> He one of the things also he was saying was that one of the big general concerns around tunnels is like, oh, I don't want to hear it. I don't want you to running under my home, you know, messing up the my home sinking or hearing this vibration for weeks on end. Yeah, I lived over the red line tunnel in Boston on Beacon Hill for a while, and you could definitely feel it when it went under. So one thing he was mentioning that it is possible if you dig deep enough and that deep enough amount is three or four tunnel diameters deep. So for okay. the 12-foot tunnel they want, it would be about 50 feet deep. He says you literally cannot detect it. Like, you would need a seismic detection-type device, like a seismograph, to detect any vibration of either the digging or anything operating in the tunnel. So many of the tunnels that you could feel are not operating that deep because they're trying to intercept older tunnels that were the sort of um, trench and cover. Mm-hmm. But if you were to dig deep enough, which would only be about 50, deep, 50 feet deep on a smallish tunnel, you would not be able to feel it at all. And you would avoid all of the plumbing, gas lines, electrical that's underground. When you say not feel it, do you mean the, the actual drilling of the tunnel or the anything, trains either. going through it? Or, yeah, okay. anything. Apparently, he was like, if you had a device that could detect it, it would be very valuable because you'd be, it would be valuable to like Iran and others to detect people digging tunnels under their country um so i i wasn't able to validate that um i still have more research to do to see if that's actually true but if that's true then i don't i don't care if someone's digging a tunnel under me i don't care if i'm and and the thing with the big dig or not the big dig but the um the cross rail in in the uk one of the things they were doing that you were mentioning uh, before the show that was funny that reminded me was, yeah, they put lasers on these buildings. Uh, or Yeah, they would point lasers at these buildings, these like ancient cathedrals, essentially, to make sure that they weren't moving uh, because they were digging underneath them and they weren't digging this deep. Um, and so there was a chance that it might cause the ground to shift. But if you dig very deep, th- there's so much earth that apparently it just doesn't cause any problems. And that's why also he believes you'd be able to dig many, many tunnels, as many layers deep as you want, infinitely deep. Uh, well, not infinitely deep. Nearly infinitely We've deep. all watched the movie The Core. You yeah, can't go is, all the way down. There is a core, but he, that the amount of Earth below us certainly dwarfs the amount of space we take up. And the example he gave as well was that um, there are uh, pipelines um, dug deeper than there are buildings tall. 
Um, and so we certainly already have the technology to build mines and things that are much deeper than hundreds of feet. And so it's not, it, it isn't even a t breakthrough technology to dig that deep. And they have been around for many decades and it's not a problem. So kind of interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it just doubles down on, on what happens in, when things go wrong, I guess. The, the deeper you go, the more uh, that's an issue. Right. So the video they released is <laughs> what I think I want to end on and okay. what our experiences or thoughts about this. So all of this comes together and they finally showed a few weeks back at this TED Talk a sort of vision video of how this would all come together because you know how most people's experience with tunnels is you drive into them from a highway or from a surface street and maybe the, they dip a little bit underground or whatever but like the holland tunnel or something in new york it doesn't really feel like this deep underground mole world right <laughs> it just sort of feels like oh i'm just going cross cross town or whatever and oh wow i'm actually underwater but it doesn't always feel like that so yeah i think it usually starts with a toll too usually so you're usually going in, you're starting slowly yeah exactly so this video uh, we'll, we'll link it up, I think, but if you haven't seen it, it shows some Teslas on the street and then they go into this special, uh, spot, this special, like a parking street parking spot, spot. street yeah. parking spot. And then all of a sudden the car starts dipping down, like it's on an elevator and it's going underground on this elevator. And then it slides over onto this, I guess it's already on this like skate and then you just see it whiz forward, and then you see this this uh, speedometer go up, and it's going to operate at 120 to 130 miles per hour. Yeah, so the, like you say, the, it's on a, a, essentially a platform that's, that's actually driving or you know, rolling through. The car itself is not driving at this point. So it's kind of like when you go into one of those car washes that pulls you through or, or if you're on the back of a, a tow truck or something. Yeah, exactly. And it's all one lane, like it, and each tube, you can sort of see a cross section of tubes in this video and it goes forward and then it reaches its destination and it comes up an elevator and then exits and there's another car waiting to get on. So when I first saw this, I was like, what? the heck is this this is crazy like yeah. to imagine an elevator system in in cities where you're dropping down below the city street and then you're on this skate and going at 130 miles an hour you're not doing anything it's sort of like the mix between a car and a train it's, it's taking like you automatically and, yeah and then and then you're like you get popped out at some other spot and it it's safe because there's nothing there hopefully and and then it only takes up two spots like you don't have this massive entrance. And that was the big thing he mentioned at the TED Talk was um, how do you make it so that you can enter anywhere into the city? Because if you want to have lots and lots of tunnels, having lots and lots of entrances to tunnels is the really big thing. And it definitely resonated with me because when I was watching that same documentary you did in London, the really big parts of the construction project were building all the stations and how those stations interface with the with the with the rest of the city and right. those took up a ton of like construction space and rerouting traffic but the tunnels didn't really seem to disrupt much it was building all the stations that really built you know made this like visible construction site on on land and so having his idea was like you'd, you'd take up two spots one for the lowering and then one for the staging area um 
and that you could just put these wherever you want along the route, essentially, and and then the tunnel would sort of pop over to the side, and obviously this would all be automated because these skates. And then you also eliminate any gases, essentially, down below because the cars aren't running. So this would allow uh, both electric cars and uh, internal combustion engine cars to use a system intermixed. And then also you don't have to drive, so you're not going to have traffic because it's going to be computer-controlled. That this felt, this was like probably the one of the most futuristic things I've seen someone claim they're going to do in a long time. Like even more so now than self-driving cars, this felt extremely futuristic and in a good way and also in a like, I'd be really curious when and if this actually happens. So that was my reaction. What was your reaction, Mike? Um I thought it was ridiculous. Um, I thought that the, it feels like they just needed to, so they got this idea to make tunnels. And then at some point they realized, well, wait, how do we get the cars in and out of these tunnels? And they just kind of did a hand wavy. Well, just have them go on elevators or something. But when you actually try and scale that out mentally, it really doesn't make much sense. Like it would take so long. Like you drive your car into a, into this like spot and then you have to like lower it down. And what's the throughput of one of these like two parking spot areas on a street? Like it has to like lower the vehicle down and then another one has to come up and get it and it just seems completely impractical like if they would have said that they would actually buy like a, a lot in a city street like you know where you would normally build like a building and then it's like a parking structure or something and all the cars go in there and then get lowered and there's just like a you know constant flow of instead of like one at a time maybe it's more like a convey uh, a vertical conveyor belt of like you know you drive in and you slide down the next one's there and it's more of like you know constantly going then that might make more sense but this idea of having it you would need to convert like every parking spot in the city into into these elevators just to get any sort of reasonable throughput and then i I don't quite understand how if you're shrinking the size of the tunnels so that they're really efficient to drill how are you going to then expand those tunnels at all of these ingress egress points like that that wasn't addressed like how are you doing that when you only have like a 12 foot wide tunnel how is then the vehicle getting on there well i guess they were going to have these sort of service areas where then it slides in like sideways. on ramps and off ramps kind of thing well it would sort of go just sideways like it would hit this service area where it's going to do the lift and it would stop, slide to the side, and then another car could pass. So it, it, it doesn't need more width necessarily. It's just going to go into another side tunnel shaft. Interesting. I, enter I, the t- it seems like the, the, the least thought out part are these elevator things. Like that just felt yeah. like a, a tacked on, hand wavy, uh, poorly thought out idea. And it, it seems like it would be very difficult to, to, to scale that. And, and you got to think too, all of the things you're talking about it being easy to drill because you're going down way below everything. Well, as soon as you start like making these shafts to come up, now you're starting to interfere with everything else in the city, all of the maintenance tunnels, the plumbing, the wiring, the pipes. Yeah, where you can put those becomes a big problem, or at least yeah. really much more involved to figure out where you could put those uh, shafts. Yeah, I imagine if you, if you go in any city and look at all of the parking spots and number which ones have a clear shot straight down there's probably very very small percentage in a city like there's probably like 
water pipes, sewage pipes, there's, you know, electrical utilities, there's any number of things that are going to be in the way. Yeah. So the, I think the main point you're bringing up that is very true and there's no way around it is the amount of cars you can lower in, say it takes a minute, uh, that would be your maximum throughput if you had one, right? It'd be like one car per minute. And clearly a highly, like a, a fast functioning highway is many you know, dozen, like hundreds of cars per minute, right? Of yeah. Think of throughput. when you're sitting at one of the on-ramps that has like a, a, a gated on-ramp. Yeah. Even an easy light. pass. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. E- it's still, you're going pretty quick there, but it feels like it's taking forever and it backs up really quickly. So the number you would need to get in and out. So you need a, you know, an equal number out as you need, as you get in. Right. So how many can you get in would be hundred, you know, thousands of spots maybe uh, to get an, an active amount of throughput and if you only have one buffer zone of one spot behind it uh that's not going to work because people are you know if, if two people want to get in at the same spot that's not that won't work because they'll be double parked essentially <laughs> so it seems as if yeah that might be a nice way to sort of ancillarily get into the into the network but it does seem like you would need a, a more voluminous way to get in and out from uh, major, major destinations because otherwise, yeah, it just would be a highly underutilized transport system. It just right. wouldn't be enough vehicles. Yeah. When, and when you say like, it costs a lot of money to make the stations, uh, at the, in these like, you know, subway systems and train systems, it's true. But you think of the volume of, of humans that, that pass through those stations with the loading and unloading of these huge trains and like, you know, they're very efficient at getting people in and out of these stations. And if you ever watch some of these time-lapse videos of like busy train stations, it's an enormous amount of people that go in and out of there. And, and if you actually think now you've got like one to maybe four, but probably one to two people per vehicle and like, you know, you're doing like one vehicle per minute each shaft, like the contrast is is crazy right yeah the channel does 21 million passengers a year uh, so that's fifty-eight thousand or so passengers per day um so it's pretty high um yeah, yeah so- i mean if you look at like grand central station and stuff and penn station and see all these people coming in and out of these like really busy subway stops it's it's and you know if you're talking about infrastructure in busy cities then that's the sort of that's the the metric that you're going up against yeah so i feel like certain i agree the in and out is going to be challenging i think the skate idea is intriguing i'm you obviously need one skate for every vehicle and there it didn't look like they were fully um you know nose to tail uh level density in inside so and you got also the like uh, problem of I guess you know if everyone's like commuting into a city uh, and then where you where are they all going to go because there's a asymmetric uh, demand over the course of a day right people commute in commute out you know where do all these skates go if are they just I guess they're traveling around empty yeah I guess it also sort of implies you need a loop right you need a continuous loop to get back to where you were right. um or a state where, or storage areas or something yeah where a train goes one direction and it reverses but um you know tunnels currently don't need to have the re- i mean they have the reverse side but they don't necessarily have um you know the skateboard problem of sort of like a disney disneyland ride where it starts where it ends um so so that's sort of intriguing maybe the, maybe the skates go underneath the 
underneath as well. So, well, I mean, so I guess it could like drop you off and then like take the other tunnel out and go back out. But I, I guess that's my 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 thought is that you know the demand is going to be very external to a city in a city area in the morning, and then everyone's going to be coming in, and you know between like eight o'clock and ten o'clock in the morning, there's going to be an enormous number of empty sleds that are in the city that then have to go back out i guess if to bring more people in right or somehow hang out somewhere down below so that you know when like you know four to six o'clock in the evening when they all start heading back out it yeah i don't know it, it just feels uh like an interesting idea um something that you might actually see in a movie or a tv show or something where you don't have to actually extrapolate all of the real world details and it can just be an interesting futuristic sort of idea uh but I, I, I don't know i feel like it might kind of be a little too clever for uh real world city usage i guess i i guess i'm curious i have to believe that he thought about like okay well what happens when the sled gets to the end like that well i think it's just inherent in this idea of we want to have everyone have their car right and i feel like that's the inefficiency and we're just trying to somehow uh turbocharge the infrastructure around it so we can retain the inefficiency of one person in a car but i feel like that's going to break down and the obvious answer is to just do uh, a, a more efficient transportation system because in in the areas like and we keep talking about cities because that's where it really matters because in the more spread out areas it's not you don't need the tunnels because right. you have plenty of space There's and highways of road so space the yeah. only reason this matters is in dense areas and it feels like i don't know a really odd way of solving the wrong problem i guess or, or really treating a symptom uh, instead of actually going for the underlying disease hmm. yeah i i I'm but it's curi- certainly fun to to talk about. And, yeah, and I'm really at. curious what's going to happen here. Like, is this something that in 10 years we're going to be seeing these tunnels in Los Angeles and this skateboard system is going to exist? Or is this going to totally fizzle out and never We're going to look happen? back on like, it. What like- is your, yeah, what do you, what do you peg the odds at of a, at least not like necessarily all of LA, but a pilot system that they build that works where a car goes on this skateboard, it gets lowered in and goes like what do you what would you put, put the odds of that happening in say the next 10 years i would say very low uh sub 10 percent. Uh, yeah yeah um i don't know i i guess if it's you kind of get can get into maybe it being more of a luxury good um it's a toll right. road i guess at this point and you know maybe it's only rich people will have their model x's or whatever you have in in 10 years from now uh and it's just a way of of having a uh, kind of more inequality yeah, an express, I guess, an express lane city. yeah yeah and then at that point i guess you don't necessarily care if the throughput is low because every person is paying like you know a thousand dollars a ride or something oh it wouldn't be a thousand dollars a ride well this is 10 years from now so. all right all right and, maybe you know, with, with inflation and inequality trends that might not actually be that much i what do you think uh, I I just really don't like betting against Elon Musk. Like I, I my problem is I I agree that this seems like a weird approach because a mass transit like a train or you know like building a train is a much more efficient way to move people, but clearly people don't like trains. Like people at least in the US people like their personal space in their car and in Los Angeles in particular it is a place where you 
you must have a car and they they've tried public transit many times and it just doesn't really get absorbed well we've got a chicken and egg problem where we've built out so much of our infrastructure around the car and if you don't have a car then it's really it's almost impossible to to live your life so it creates this situation where you know if we went all in we could actually make a more transportation friendly area and then you know cities like new york boston philadelphia washington dc they have good transportation systems yeah. and people live without cars but places like la are all in on you know single roads, family yeah. detached homes and 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 one car per person so the other thing that is a wild card for me is if autonomous cars happen in some near-term future, you know, in the next 10 years, which I think is quite likely that at least in certain cities, you'd be able to get in a car and have it drive you, then the price per mile will drop below the price of public transit. And in that world, of course, you would choose a single occupancy car, because why wouldn't you? Like, if it's cheaper than a bus ticket, cheaper than a train ticket to ride in a self-driving car, you have your own personal space. And I think this is what Elon is actually triggering into, is that he believes that's the future we're going to have and that why would you choose a bus or a train or a subway when riding in a car is going to be cheaper? And that will increase the demand for individual car uh, miles. And so we're going to need a way to move these cars around a lot more efficiently. Right. And in that world... Uh, the f it sort of becomes a sort of abundance because of low cost. Um, and that seems like a perfectly rational reason why then you would want a tunnel system for individual cars, because you wouldn't be able to pay someone enough, really. You'd have to subsidize it massively to have someone choose to ride on a subway versus in a self-driving car for 10 cents or 20 cents or 30 cents instead of, you know, 50 cents or a dollar for a bus fare. So if that if that's true, I certainly believe that people in cities are going to be in these self-driving cars at a much greater amount and it's going to cause even more traffic. And so even just to keep up with the normal amount of traffic, we're going to need to have roads underground. And I also think it may not be that the skates are the first way that it happens. Um but I don't I don't know. It, it seems it seems possible and then also the idea he's like you could do an infinitely long tunnel. So he, he, he thinks New York to Washington all underground. Um, so beating like the Acela train and others. There's a, there's a Doctor Who episode where they're in the people live their whole lives in traffic in a tunnel of some sort. I don't know. I, I haven't watched Doctor Who. It sounds like it keeps coming up. I feel like I need to watch it. I'm pretty sure they're, they're, it's pretty recent. There, there was one. Uh, yeah. People living out generations of their lives stuck in traffic. So what do you what do you think about the self-driving car angle that it, it will be hard even in the future, even more difficult to convince people to use public transit because self-driving cars will be cheaper? Like, A, well, do you think they'll I, be cheaper? And do you think that's a valid reason not to want self not want uh, public transit? I mean, I think the, yeah, it'll, it'll certainly be more appealing uh, if you don't have to worry about, I mean, I, again, I think it, it's more of the transportation service that's interesting and not actually like owning a vehicle. Yeah, sure. You call you it and it's a dollar or whatever. Right. And it becomes like, you know, how fast does it get to where you want to go? And, and, or, you know, like, obviously if you're in the city, then there'll probably be a whole bunch there, but if you're outside and you want to get in, like, is there one around? But I think the, I think scaling that out might become the problem. And I think that there might just become so much congestion that it would just take a lot longer. I mean, essentially, you'd still have lots of traffic. And for years to come, there's still going to be human-operated vehicles causing problems and, and congestion. 
and I think maybe the the public transportation option might end up being faster or more dependable, I guess, because, uh, you know, it's running on a schedule, it's outside of, of traffic. Um, and that might be the thing. I, I, I still feel like maybe someone needs to run just these huge simulations uh, on like what a city would be like, like just take LA, make a huge simulation and simulate like what a weekday nine to five working would be with like autonomous vehicles everywhere. Cause I feel like it, it sounds when you actually just play out one person's experience, it makes complete sense, right? Like I just push a button. There's a vehicle that picks me up. I get out right where I want to go. But I feel like when you actually scale that up to a million people doing that, it might not work. And that's, that's, that's my concern. And I would love to see, actually how that happens like you know if everyone you know you've got you're still going to have the same like skyscraper office buildings and stuff and that means like you know thousands of people need to be dropped off in this 100 foot stretch of of road you know and then like you know scale that up for every block and i don't know it, it i feel like there's we might just have the same problem of like in 1950 when they started building out, like really scaling out Los Angeles, and there weren't that many cars on the road, you could just make a six-lane highway, and everyone could just get in their giant gas-guzzling uh, chrome and fin vehicle mm-hmm. and drive right to work, and you know, go to work at, you know, Don Draper could just go right in and come back out, and uh, and everything made sense and it worked well. But then as soon as you started scaling it up and getting more and more congested, it just broke down, and where where we are today. And I wonder how that would happen. Like, what's that scaling curve look like for autonomous vehicles? And I, I don't know. I'm, I, I fear that it's not going to be as great as we think it will be. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't feel like anyone has fully um, explored the, the reality of what would happen given uh, everyone having the option of almost essential, like super cheap personal transport um which whenever and, they want yeah and also uh, i feel like i'm i just ended there on a really negative note but I, I feel like it maybe it just becomes one part of a transportation infrastructure for for a metro area and like yeah you would still have trains and subways and you know denser environments around stations and then this is like another option on top um and yeah so anyway just to just to, <laughs> to kind of denegate that a little bit yeah and i also think one of the things that i've said and i think others are assuming is that the price will go really low um but it's possible the price would stay competitive with the cheapest option and then you would just pick up additional margin right and so transportation would now become very profitable for those who have self-driving um and it would now be equivalent to you know mass transit but not much cheaper it, it, it there might not be a, a huge drive to get to zero um it would just become a very profitable industry for whoever has self-driving cars which oh. would help recoup the cost of this massive multi-billion dollar investment yeah or i mean you'd start getting like places like london has congestion uh tax or congestion fees or something right so you go in and you have to pay to drive in a certain area and maybe that just gets rolled in as well and and that serves to uh reduce the amount of vehicles on the road but also then raise funds for other options like tunnels and and you know public transit systems yeah i think it'll one of the things last things is just to say is i'm curious who's going to pay for these tunnels and um 
if the boring company is going to get a large cash infusion from Elon or, or if they're planning to sort of just fund it fully themselves because, you know, it's not a cheap endeavor uh, to, to, to employ a, a large team and build these tunnels and get the city's approval, um, hundreds of millions of dollars, potentially billions of dollars. Um, and many of these tunnels are public projects. Um, and so to pay for them, if they're privately funded, then they would be able to restrict who uses them. Um, so yeah, to your point earlier, they may be a premium network to get to the airport from Los Angeles faster. You pay $30 or $40 to use this tunnel service. And oh, by the way, it's included in the Teslas and the Tesla network uses them to <laughs> redistribute cars. So it's just a net jet or variation. Yeah, exactly. A very, very uh, cost effective net jet um, to, to get to the airport really fast in an express lane. Um, well, cool. I, I feel like uh, we've definitely dug into tunnels <laughs> more more than uh, I was ex- more than I have in the past. But um, it definitely a couple things. It in summary, it certainly seems possible to go faster, uh, to dig tunnels faster. It doesn't seem as if there's a limit to the rocks breaking. Uh, we're nowhere near that limit of what the rocks could break and how quickly you could move material out. So that seems plausible that you could dig tunnels faster. It also seems feasible that you could dig uh, smaller tunnels and have non-human drivers in them and potentially have a safer environment. The biggest wild card is uh, what is the usefulness of these and how do you get in and out of them, uh, which may not have been fully thought through yet. But um, it also seems true that as we have more and more dense cities with people living in multi-story buildings above ground, a 2D ground network to move cars around is not going to be viable long term and cities like china and uh sorry countries like china uh the uk and others certainly realize that uh underground subways and tunnels are are vital to a city surviving and and being able to thrive with so many people and the u.s hasn't except for a few cities really done much work there so la is probably the worst and uh, elon happens to live in la so I certainly support more tunnels. Yeah, yeah. And well, I mean, LA has like some infrastructure. It has some, but it's... Cities like Phoenix or or Las Vegas are probably the worst, but yeah. Yeah, Las Vegas is so interesting, right? There's so much uh, people walking on the streets. But yeah, the traffic in Las Vegas is terrible at night. Like, you can't go anywhere at night. But uh, during the day, it's not not crazy. But uh, yeah, any any closing thoughts, Mike? No, no, I I think we covered it. We went uh, way longer than I thought we would, uh, just kind of talking about tunnels. It's cool. (laughs) Watch watch a lot of documentaries. That's my recommendation because it's just fascinating. I don't know if it'll actually be a viable uh, urban transportation option uh, in the way that the boring company's initial video suggests, but uh, it's certainly interesting to think about. So if anyone has any further thoughts or ideas they want to share with us, you can tweet at us at The Tesla Show on Twitter. Uh, you can comment or leave us a message from our website, theteslashow.com. And uh, also we're on Reddit at r slash show if you happen to use Reddit. And uh, with that, uh, talk to you guys later. Thanks, Mike. Talk to you later. Bye.